Thank you for tuning in to Growing Tech Fast, the condensed Org3D podcast in which conversations about growing tech startups are had with those who have grown them. Today, I am joined by Jessica, who is co-founder and COO of the venture-backed Illuma GPT-powered superhuman for Web3, currently powering Orange DAO. Now, they help um, to extract and summarize chats and happenings across Web3 organizations. When everything is online, decentralized, the collective nature of communication happening in Web3 right now, Aluma breaks this down into digestible information, feeding you extractive highlights with a customized summary of the information that is important for you. Now, I'm really excited to get into all things Aluma, um, but Jessica, please, thanks for joining me. Introduce yourself. Thanks so much for having me, Rosie. Um, so I'm Jessica Taggart. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Iluma. Uh, I'm originally from Marblehead, Massachusetts, which is a tiny town north of Boston, very picturesque New England colonial <laughs> town. Um, I studied at uh, a boarding school, Phillips Academy Andover. That is an important pivotal moment in my early uh, early, let's say career or early uh, story because it kind of opened my my uh, horizons and maybe want to sort of travel and get out there more. I went to USC undergrad. I studied political science there. Uh, that's in in Los Angeles. Again, this is my my slow venture into kind of continuing to broaden my, my horizons. Uh, I moved back to uh, New York, got involved in the tech scene, um, and then shortly thereafter did a uh, trip to Bogota, Colombia, where I met my husband. We did long distance for a few years, and then um, we ultimately, I, I made the jump, not across the pond, but down south, <laughs> and I ended up here. Um, and shortly thereafter, I met my co-founders, um, one of whom, my CTO, is is here also based in Bogota. The other one is based in Carmel Valley in, in California. And we created our last venture together, which um, was in conversational AI. We raised $7 million. We went through Y Combinator. Um, and more recently, we created our latest venture, Iluma, uh, the superpower, the superhuman of Web3, uh, powered by GPT 3.5. And um, we have been working on that ever since. We incorporated in January, we raised a 2.5 million pre-seed. And um, now we have we have our beta that's been out for about two months. Uh, we started with just a really small group of high affinity Web3 communities that we have worked with, such as the Orange Dow and a few others. And now we're just experiencing lovely organic growth, growing 2x month over month. And we're, we're really excited about that. Awesome. Uh, I'd really like to know, it sounds like so far things are going pretty well for Aluma, but where, where did the idea come from? What problem were you trying to solve? Sure. So Web3 is, um, again, it's a, a, a term that's been coined on the internet that I think helps sort of understand what moment we're at right now with the internet. Um, Web3 is characterized by sort of a unique subset of, of pillars. And the idea behind Web3 is that it's transparent, it's decentralized, it's permissionless. And a little bit more about what I mean by that is the idea for Web3 communities or organizations as they're called, sometimes you hear them called DAOs also, decentralized autonomous organizations, is that they want to operate in a more democratic way. They want to operate in a way where the power is decentralized, people have access to the same information, um, and people are able to take collective action. And so this is a really, I think, interesting concept, but it creates a unique challenge, which is 
now that I have access to all this information, now that I have access, you know, kind of equal opportunity to, to all these different people, um, how do we make sense of all these conversations, all this data, all this information that's being shared? And this is one of the biggest issues that you'll see. And um, I, I've mentioned this before, but on Twitter, you probably will not see one person uh, who's in a Web3 community or organization, not at one point say, help me, oh God, my Discord is going <laughs> off the rails. It has, you know, I have 3000 messages I haven't even read across 17 different channels, across 30 different servers, um, I need help. And so uh, this is where Iluma comes in. So. Iluma helps uh, individual Web3 users and also Web3 communities make sense of the noise on Discord and also across their Web3 uh, stack of different platforms that we use for conversational use. So um, we are able to identify the most important highlights, the most important metrics and data that's being shared in your communities um, and deliver them to you in a, in a few different ways. You're able to customize those um, extractions that we do so we can either you know, pull out interesting different filters of information. So if you want to know the questions or the opportunities like events, sponsorship, speaking engagements um, that are happening in those communities, you can you can see those. We can deliver them in the form of AI powered digests, um, summaries within channels in Discord. Uh, and we also, of course, have our web app, which is where we pull in a lot of different um, platforms and, and different information from those platforms. So you can customize everything yourself. So I think um, in uh, maybe for those people who are listening who aren't in one of those communities or organizations, um, a very simple version of the problem is if you've ever been part of more than one group chat or WhatsApp or WhatsApp group um, and you get to a Sunday and you have 400 unread e messages, well, 10x that and that's probably close to the number um or, or the amount of information that somebody would need to read through to get to get through it all. And if there was something like this for WhatsApp, I would buy it. So <laughs> I think um, <laughs> I'll keep most, that in mind. Yeah, I think most mind. people will understand that problem um, and can appreciate that, especially if all of those messages and all the information coming in through those streams were business related and unimportant to your working life. It's quite overwhelming the idea that you need to read through it all. So something that can summarize that um, is gonna be a really effective tool for anybody in that in that area. Can you talk a little bit to how Aluma how is doing that? What is it that you do with that information? How do you bring that up into a summary? Absolutely, sure. And WhatsApp actually is one of the uh, the other channels that we're considering. It's funny that you mentioned that because we have <laughs> we have a lot of we have a big stack of things to get to first that are let's say a little bit more um, Web three that are, are more the platforms that people are sort of banging at our doors and asking for. But WhatsApp is one because so many people do use it now in a professional sense. Um, the close competitor also Telegram is one that we have on yes. our shortlist um, because a lot of Web three communities prefer that in terms of it being a little bit more secure. Um, but the WhatsApp is definitely on the list, especially now because they've created forums, which allows them to bring in more content and have bigger audiences as well. Um, so the AI that we actually use is uh, GPT 3.5. It's an AI model that is from OpenAI. And essentially what GPT, it's it's been around for several years, but this most recent model has just made a really big jump and a leap in the abilities of what it's able to do. Um, obviously, there's always more to be, you know, 
you know, there's always something left wanting, you know, you're always wanting a little bit more accuracy here, or a little bit more um, information or context here, but it's a really huge leap. I think a lot of people more recently have seen um, chat, chat GPT popping up um, everywhere as people start to start to test that platform that's, that's out also by OpenAI. And uh, so we leverage that technology, which is the model that allows you to basically um, do a bunch of different things with information. You can either input um, like certain keywords or small amount of text and it will generate long form content or you can input long form content and it can provide summaries, it can transcribe, it can do a bunch of things. We mostly use it in, in this sense to be able to summarize more long form com, uh, content. We've, uh, we also have a, you know, an AI layer that is our own sort of proprietary AI that we use in combination with um, GPT. And that allows us to be able to um, extract that information. So we have a bot, for example, for the specific case of Discord, we have a bot that layers over your Discord community and sits on your server. Um, and it scans your uh, open channels, the public channels on that server, and it picks out and identifies certain information based on certain criteria. And that's the AI that we've built. Um, GPT, we also use that sort of to augment what we've created, uh, which allows us to create those summaries that are super valuable because, again, who has time to read, uh, you know, 700 rows of chats that are happening yeah. across different channels. So we're able to use that also to leverage um, chat GPT or sorry, just GPT in general, and be able to kind of create those really nice summaries that, um, with what we're extracting ourselves, like I mentioned, you can filter for different information. Um, we can also provide that back to the user in the format that they'd like to be able to have it um, wherever they'd like to have it in just a really nice, simple few sentences. Um, so that, like I mentioned, we can put that in a newsletter, you know, if you want, and that's fully, again, powered and generated by AI. Those are not newsletters that someone is sitting behind them and creating them. Uh, we can push them back out to a, a Discord channel um, by the bot itself, or we can also ping you in real time um, if you want like an SMS or a WhatsApp or an iMessage. We also can do that as well. And then, of course, on top of all that, we've built our own web app where you can log in and, and see all that information. I think that's what... Um when we first talked about this and when I was looking at um, things to talk about in the podcast, one of the things that I thought is if some, I tried to put myself in the shoes of somebody who is facing that problem and what on the face of it, when they're looking at a Luma, what, what might they think? And um, we talked about it a little bit before, before we started, I guess somebody looking at it think, Oh my God, that's more information to read. Like how, how does, how's that going to help? But what you spoke about in terms of it being so customizable and your, I guess it's up to the individual what comes up in that, in what format, in what way. It's not like once you sign up and you set everything up, they're going to get the newsletter, text, WhatsApp, that everything comes through. So it, yes. how customizable is that? Like if somebody is in a in different positions within as in they have different responsibilities of what they're contributing to, can they alter in terms of what information will be served up to them? Yes. Yeah. Everything is 100% customizable. And to your point, I don't think anybody wants to be like, you know, pinged on uh, as a text every time they're mentioned and an opportunity and it's an email and they're getting a digest and they're also logging into the app. I think that's unrealistic. Um, we created the different, we created real-time notifications and we created email digests as an alternative for people knowing that at this point in juncture, like at this point in time, they probably don't want another web app that they have to log into to then be able to understand just their Discord. Um, 
And so while we create that adoption, what we found super valuable and what our, our, our users right now are really loving are the daily summaries or the weekly summaries that our AI generates and sends them. And so they can customize um, a bunch of different things within that. They can customize if they just want to receive, for example, like I mentioned, we have different filters. So if they just want to see like, well, what opportunities are people sharing um, on the different channels that I'm, I'm a part of? Um, they can just receive those. If they want to receive just at mentions, you know, a ping on text every time someone at mentions them in a specific server in a specific channel, they can do that. Um, if they want to be pinged every time there's high activity happening in a channel, so a quick discussion is happening and a lot of people are chiming in and, you know, something is happening, um, they can also do that. So they can customize it a lot to their liking. And I think that's also really important is we don't want to, I don't want to make a shift in terms of how people interact with, with Discord. I think Discord is such a powerful tool, but it absolutely requires something to augment it because there's just such a fire hose of information happening. And so this is a, a really powerful tool for people to be able to use to say, well, what, what is important to me? What kind of information do I want to receive? Um, and the other one that we, we've found is really interesting is so our, our bot, which I mentioned that sits on top of Discord, it pushes back out summaries to the, um, to the user themselves or to the community. So one of the things that the bot does is has its own channel that's called Illuma Insights, or you can customize it, you know, the communicate can customize it to, to say whatever it wants. Um, it pushes out those summaries, daily, weekly summaries, um, summaries when there's, you know, new members that have just joined the community, different sort of data, different insights. And that's kind of like your running stream of, okay, if there's one channel that I need to check every day to know what happened in this community, it, it's, you know, Illuma Insights. And I think that has been, we've gotten a really big, overwhelming, positive uh, reaction to that. So that's been really exciting as well. Where we want to bring the web app ultimately um, is to be able to really summarize everything that's happening across all your uh, Web3 stack. And what I mean by this is so Web3 communities, like I mentioned, you know, they're decentralized, right? So a lot of them are voting. They're, you know, they're voting on different proposals or different decisions. That happens on another software that can happen on something like Snapshot, um, which allows people to actually vote um, with tokens and uh, and have results and, you know, everything's published there. We can pull that into um, Illuma also and give you a snapshot of your snapshot. Um, we also can give you a snapshot of the different proposals that are being put forth. So when people put forth a proposal, it can sometimes be like another long form thing, you know, three pages to read. Our GPT-powered um, AI can also give you just a summary of what that proposal is about, and you can go and set a reminder to go and vote on that. Um, we can bring in also summaries of transactions happening uh, inside your community as well. And then we can bring in also additionally, you know, if there's something interesting happening on Twitter in a specific keyword, and you want to also put that into your Illuma. Um, so we can be pulling in not just from Discord, but actually a host of different platforms that are important for your community and for you as a user to know like, okay, what happened today? What, what, you know, it's almost like my, my snapshot dashboard of like, what are all the things that are going on? What do I need to know? What's most important for me to start my day? Yeah. And do you know, I think one of the things that is so interesting about web3 but actually it doesn't result a problem necessarily but what you're doing creates a solution for the vast majority of people in, in different points in the year for different people so for anybody listening who doesn't maybe know the full scope of what what, what a web3 community is something that's very easy to take in is that they are often completely remote teams um, of people all over the world tuning in at different times um, 
uh, and contributing at, at different points in the day for a variety of different reasons. It can be time zone, but also we have so many culturally different holidays and different things that people celebrate. And because there's so much information, switching off is sometimes really difficult. Um, and being able to walk away for two days and come back to it with these summaries, with the insights, makes taking that time off a little bit easier. Um, and when you're working in a, a group where, and actually one of um, my clients was facing facing this problem, is how do I get these different groups to collaborate um, and it and be able to take time off when it's when it's a different holiday or um, when they're coming back to work from from a bit of time off? How do they then? like not become completely overwhelmed and spend an entire first day doing admin it's Absolutely. okay here's your summary here's what you need to know and especially if you know that holiday is coming up you can customize that and you can ask for a little bit more information than you would do in, in an everyday situation um so that's why i think it's really interesting and takes us quite nicely into a part of this podcast which is what on earth is web3 for people that who are just getting into it or maybe they are thinking about it but again look at what what it takes to be in those communities and think hey this is I don't really understand um this feels a little bit overwhelming and Jessica I think you're probably one of the, the best people to talk to about this given your background and your experience can you tell me in layman's terms and maybe not a two-year-old explanation but um, a, a really simple version of what is web3 of course i will do i will do my best uh web3 i think unfortunately it got a bad rap of being unnecessarily complicated to understand um but it is actually in terms of conceptual wise i think it's actually quite easy so to understand web3 i'm going to go back and explain a little bit more about the different stages of the internet so why web3 there must be obviously a web two and a web one that come before this. So when we think about web one, web one is like your first version of the internet. This is the earliest, this is like 1990 to 2004, 2005. And I don't know if you remember this, but when you, when I used to do like dial up internet, you know, AOL, yeah. during, you know, exactly. <laughs> the facts line. Uh, when, when you used to go online, it was to specific websites and it was really just to learn. You weren't really engaging in a lot of content. You were really just going to maybe read, learn, maybe interact in one way, but not really produce any of your own content or yeah, really much. You're just going to sort of read about something, let's say. In web two, which is more the rise, I think, of the social media platform. And this happens more around 2004, 2005, and this continues on to present day. This is where we actually created a read and write internet. And what I mean by that is you can go and obviously read and learn everything on the internet, right? Um, but you can also create content. Um, so now as a, you know, as a user of the internet, you can go to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, and you can post beautiful pictures or share your, you know, ideas or create a video or, you know, establish a brand. You can do a lot of things. You can also interact with other users. And so this is a really big pivotal shift in how the internet was used and commoditized. What's interesting though about that is the user itself is really dependent on these big platforms and their policies and you don't really have a lot of say. So the example that I like to use about, you know, I like to use from this is one like um, a YouTube 
at YouTube, you know, you could have a great channel that produces a lot of great content. Maybe you have great videos that bring a lot of eyeballs um, and you have a strong viewership. But at the end of the day, ultimately, you're going to be dictated by YouTube's policies or, you know, what they deem as acceptable content. And so you might, from time to time, depending on the topics that you have, it might wander outside of that realm of what's acceptable. And you could get, maybe your video gets taken down or, you know, you get demonetized or something. Um, and that's fine because that's also up to YouTube standards and, and policies. But you as the individual creator, maybe that's something that you don't necessarily agree with. So then if you were to try and take your brand and the following that you've built, it really, at the end of the day, it kind of stays in YouTube or in the platform that you've created it in. It's hard to sort of take that, you know, brand that you've built up and that social graph that you now have elsewhere. And so this is really the spirit of Web3. And this is the part where I think things are changing. So in Web3, which let's say started around 2014 into present, and it kind of groups together, you know, crypto, NFTs, blockchains, all the confusing things that you hear about DAOs, all into one um, great little group. And so Web3 is this idea that you can read things on the internet, you can write and produce content on the internet, but then you can also own that content at the end of the day. Um, so what you put out there in terms of, you know, videos, photos, imagery, content, ideas, um, actually stays your own and you can take that wherever you go. Um, I think again, like web three gets a bad rap sometimes in the sense that some people think it's, oh, it sounds very complicated blockchain. That sounds very, you know, confusing. Um, the technicality of it sounds confusing, but at the end of the day, it's all built around this idea of ownership and transparency and having that, um, you know, if there's a transaction that happens or if there's ownership that happens, it's all recorded online. Um, and that's, I think, the difference with it. So with Web3 communities specifically, like shifting back towards, you know, what we've been talking about and Web3 organizations and communities, often called DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, those principles of transparency, um, permissionless, meaning that you don't need to ask permission to have access to a certain file or certain information. Everyone should have access. Um, and decentralizing power so that more people can partake in decision-making or, you know, be empowered to create their own content and own that content. Um, these aren't new radical ideas. These are ideas of democracy at the end of the day. And I think that that's a really powerful change that we're starting to see. And I think that's what makes Web3 so exciting and so attractive to so many people. Um, and another way where it makes it really um, indestructible, I don't think this is going anywhere. You know, I think a lot of people at one point thought, you know, crypto is a phase or this is a phase, um, you know, a little rebellious group. And, and I really don't think you can say that at all anymore because it has such an overwhelming following. Um, and even every bear cycle that comes, you know, people are even just doubling down, tripling down because they feel like this is such an important part of where the internet needs to go um, to make it to that, you know, next stage of um, of ultimate transparency. Yeah, and I think um, to add a little bit to that and maybe an example that it is uh, like a real life example of it um, and why I think quite a few like famous names have got involved in web3 in various different forms because for your entire career or what you have created and what you wanted to put out there for that to be owned by somebody else and the kind of realization that it is owned by somebody else and you actually can't take that further um 
or can't take back control over it. Given today's world and what can happen um, to to people's like careers and what they've done, if you think about artists, I think artists are the easiest one to to digest in the brain. That um, if you don't own the rights to your work, somebody else does, and they could do whatever they want with it. Um, and actually, that's why a lot of artists have gotten on this on on web threes on nfts and things like that because it's giving them an ownership that they've not had before i think we the only time where it's come close is like people who literally paint or or draw things and and you know it's owned by them but once it's sold it's not and and this is an, an option that allows people that control um which is should be exciting but for some people, that's terrifying. Um, and for some people to think about their business as an example, to move from Web 2 to Web 3 and to think about taking on the true meaning of a, of a democracy within that. For a lot of people, that's absolutely terrifying. Uh, and to be so open, to be so inclusive um, and to allow the the like the voting for example moving on new policies or moving on a a new process and that everybody can vote on that not everybody has to but everybody can that's really scary for a lot of people especially business owners and something that i thought was really interesting about when we first met is that you took a company from web 2 to web 3 um culturally that's got to be a huge shift can you tell me a little bit about that yeah, sure. And I mean, I understand. I think, again, you know, to your point, I think not everybody is going to be, not every company also has to operate as, you know, a Web3 company does. I think you'll you'll always see a continuance of the LLC, the corporation. I just think DAO is really going to be another version that exists. I think that's going to be another choice that business owners can take. Um, and not just businesses, it might be organizations. I think there's a lot of different, really great uh, use cases so far. Like if you've seen, um, there's investment DAOs that go in together. There's a lot of collective use cases where I think that um, it makes a lot of sense to structure themselves as a DAO versus any other type of entity. And I just think you'll start to see that more and more. The great part about Web3 is there's still no set rules. It's not like you have to make it set up in a certain way, you know, and I think this is really an interesting piece too, where uh, that part that you mentioned that could be scary of, you know, how, how am I going to give uh, everyone in my company a vote of, you know, what happens or, you know, what they don't have all the information I do. They don't have the experience I do. What, what, what does that mean? I mean, first of all, if you feel that way, you probably don't have the right team to take them into a Web3 uh, style organization anyways. Um, but, you know, second off, there's no rules that say you have to give everybody a vote or it shouldn't be by, um, you know, there's, you know, like democracies, there's a lot of different ways that they're structured in the US. It's not like other, you know, democracies, you have electoral colleges and you have governors and, you know, you have committees, you have a lot of different ways in which you can structure things to continue to put in sort of those, let's say, quote unquote, checks and balances or um, structures that make you feel comfortable about how decisions are made. Um, and I think that's one of the beauties of Web3 is you get to rewrite the rules in the way that you want to make the rules work for you. There's no one right way to Web3. Um, with taking a company from Web2 to Web3, 
we were really lucky, I do have to say, in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of that comes from the blood, sweat and tears we made to recruit an awesome team that we had um, in our previous company because we pretty much transitioned the entire team over to the, the new company, um, no churn and just people very excited to dive in. I think we all got excited about Web3 at the same point in time. And that also helped make the transition really easy uh, because we saw there was just such a great opportunity for us to do something there. And we saw that there was so much um, excitement also and a need for um, something that we're experts, which is in building AI platforms and truly leveraging AI, I think, for really meaningful use cases. You know, I think there's a lot of things that are you know, it's like no one needs to build the AI for like bird internet. Like that that doesn't exist. It's not a real problem, you know, but using yeah. AI, I think to really solve real problems is um, that's our sweet spot. That's what we love to do. We've always loved, you know, figuring out where where we can, you know, best position ourselves to truly make a difference. Um, and with Web3, there was just such a, an opening for us to come in and really resolve a real pain point. Um, and so that's, I think, what really drew, drew us into Web3. Um, and culturally taking us into Web3 was, uh, it wasn't a big shift. But again, I say that's because I think of the, a lot of the work we did on the Web2 side, which was just building a very, you know, a, a small team, we're under 10, um, but a team that is uh, very open, over communicative, um, you know, cameras on, you know, kind of all the great principles of remote work that you have anyways. Um, we put that, you know, into practice also in Web3. I think um, talking about remote teams, I think um, a lot of us have had to get used to that recently. Um, and, and not everybody has had um, that experience of remote teams prior to COVID. Um, I, even some of the, the large tech companies didn't even do it then. Um, we're all forced into it. But you've um, said before, you know, you've had remote teams for around like best part of 10 years. Um, and it's interesting, I think, to, to know from your perspective, um, the different challenges you've faced and actually are there different ones now to back then besides internet and maybe like video camera issues but like from actually a, a motivating the team a, a, and having a successful workforce remotely have the challenges been different do you see the same problems I think I see the same problems I mean it depends for our I can talk to our specific team and then I think I, I can mention maybe like web3 as a whole um, with our specific team and we've been remote for I would say around seven years now. Um, we've always, I could almost say we've always been remote because we've always had a few team members that are remote, but we did have an office at one point. Um, but I think it was around seven years ago that we killed the office and we all moved, you know, to our respective homes. Um, and there's such a, there's such a beauty in remote work, but you do have to know how to do it. Um, with our team specifically, something that was so important to us, and I think something working with a lot of engineers um, is that they really value their own space uh, in to be able to, you know, code and concentrate and do the actual execution work that they need to do. It's so critical for them to have their, you know, their own sort of setup and feel really comfortable in that setup. And since at the end of the day, we are, you know, an engineering first team, um, we actually, you know, one of the reasons why we we let go of our office was because they were hating trans, like they're hating commuting every day. 
you know, uh, having to, to always sort of be in transit, uh, wasting time. And then in the office, it's a distraction. Um, so we're like, all right, we'll try it for a year. We'll see how it goes. And I mean, after three months, we were all like, yeah, we're never going back. That's, <laughs> that's never going <laughs> to. Um, and I think we all just got like, when we got, we had to obviously instill, you know, certain practices that we still have to this day. And I think that's why we're very successful as a remote company. Um, but we all just felt the, the, found the beauty and being like, wow, I can, you know, I don't have a commute. I can work from whatever environment is most conducive for me to work in. And, um, and, you know, we set in the best practices, which are, we are like cameras on company. We are always on, we're on discord now we've used Slack in the past, but we are always on discord. We're always available. We set time, uh, like, you know, sort of a working time hour, although sometimes we are outside of like normal working hours, but we do have a set hour that we all have to be online and available. Um, we're over communicative. We communicate too much uh, about where we are, what we're doing, who we're seeing, what we're, what we're thinking. Um, and we will spend time, I think, with our early recruits. So when we hire uh, to keep this culture flourishing, you know, we have a very strong recruiting process. And that I think also has contributed to us being able to actually bring people into this culture we've created because we are very close and we have a very tight knit feel, even though we're all distributed. Um and I think part of that is because with that, you know, with those criteria that we look for, we're really specific. We know what makes it work. We know who we like to work with. We know what attributes they need to have. And we know without those attributes, and I'm not talking technical skills, I'm talking very soft skills. We know it won't work for us because we have a certain culture that requires those things. Um, and so, and those are, you know, they can be anything under the sun. One of the biggest ones is attention to detail. You know, you have to be detail oriented. If I'm not hanging over your shoulder, watching everything you're doing, I need to trust that you're triple checking things that if you don't feel comfortable with something that, you know, proactively, you need to go find somebody else to check your work um, because I expect, you know, excellence and, and nothing below. Um, and so those types of things that we've instilled in the company really helps us have that sort of strong cultural affinity. We also meet up in person. It's not like we're like anti-being in person here. Uh, we do we do see each other uh, and we do enjoy seeing each other. But um, but yeah, we've created a really great structure, I think, for working remotely. So none of us kind of want to turn back the clocks and, and go back. How do you add someone to the team when it is completely remote? Is there, does that person get more time like on a call like this? Because for me, thinking about how we bring someone on, how we train them up, um, to do that completely remotely, I mean, we did it. We did it during COVID um, and, and it was successful, but it's almost like now you're out of that space. It's how, how do we, how did we ever do that? Um, so what happens when somebody starts on their first day? Sure. Uh, we we are on them like a hawk. <laughs> I, have, I have to say, we will... I mean, even to this day, it stresses some people out to hear this, but I easily have like seven hour calls some days where I'm literally just sitting on a Zoom. People come in, people go out, we eat lunch together sometimes, we chat, someone takes a call, someone comes back. And it's like imitating sometimes a working environment because sometimes, especially with companies like a startup, we move so quickly you need that many touch points. Like I can't just assume, you know, sometimes from 9am to 11am, we've changed completely what we're focusing on for that day. Um, and so having that face-to-face -face 
camera time is so important. So with new recruits, um, it might feel a bit intense, but for the first few weeks, sometimes we'll just sit on a call and I literally will have them screen share with me and we'll just sit for hours and we'll work together. And I'm sort of, you know, mimicking being over their shoulder next to them, um, working with them. And through that, there's just a lot of, um, I don't know what's that word, you know, like symbiosis or whatever, like when you, you know, exchange information, you have a lot of that um, kind of artificially created by by being on Zoom because you're able to sort of, you know, I, I happen to share, you know, recent ideas that we're talking about or I'll invite another teammate in and they hear what conversations we're having um, and all that like extra exposure just gets them ramped on so much faster. So we really try and include that person as much as possible. And again, sometimes overload them with just being with us on Zoom calls as much as possible to be like fly on the wall, picking up on things, but also let me screen share. Let me see what you're doing. Let me tell you how we do it. Let me show you how it's done um, to avoid that sort of issue that sometimes you find later when you're like, oh, they're fine. You know, they're just working away. And then you're like, shit, two weeks later. Okay. <laughs> no, they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, we, we, we plan for that. We assume that's going to happen. So we kind of nip it in the bud and we, we force uh, a lot of FaceTime. Yeah, I can imagine actually that you end up taking on more information um, because when you onboard someone in person, you kind of say, okay, here's how we do this. You go and do it for a bit and then come back and show me the results and then we'll we'll go back through the next thing. Um, and actually, you could learn a lot more if they were listening to your day entirely or if you were walking them through a problem completely how you would do it and and then bringing someone else on and how they would handle that problem um so I can see how actually that can be really effective one thing that I think um I've definitely seen more of an increase particularly with some of the themes that we work with um helping to put people in there a year ago even six months ago they were still pretty much completely remote but there is a shift now where people are going back into that hybrid world where people can come in, people can not. Some people have gone completely full-time back to the office. Do you think, in your opinion, hybrid teams where maybe the management are in, in office and, and other people flip between, do you think that that creates a, an extra difficulty to this? It can. I, I think it depends. I think you really like Web3. I think you can design whatever works for you. I don't think there's any one cookie cutter solution that works for every mm. every business. Um, there's some businesses also that I don't know if they would be able to go fully online like we are. I think with you know tech and software, it's very easy. Um, others probably would find that challenging. Uh, but I think you have to find whatever works ultimately for you. You know, if you have a big team, I think it would also be like the larger team you have. It might be hard creating that same tight knit feel uh, over Zoom and kind of keeping track of everyone. You really then start to rely on, you know, your managers and how they also mimic those same really best practices that you have. Um, certainly creating like cohesive culture can be easier in an office. I think with the hybrid, it's been a great um, kind of like in between for people who value. I think there's, you know, a lot of people when they went remote, you know, the, since the pandemic kind of like opened everybody's eyes to what we've been doing because 
you know, most people are like, how would you work remote? How do you separate your life? That would drive me crazy. Others are like, oh, I, you know, that's all I would want in my life to be able to work from home. That sounds like a dream. Um, and then everyone was forced to do it in the pandemic. So now everyone sort of at least kind of knows what that's like. Um, for some industries and for some people, I think, you know, they really do need that in-office environment. They like to separate out where they work best. Um, and that's great if you have the option to be able to go into an office or have an office space or like, you know, a hot desk somewhere, that's awesome. Um, and I also would certainly, if, you know, there were team members of mine that wanted to have, you know, like, a some sort of subscription at some sort of, you know, space sharing place, I would say, please, like, let's do it. Because for me, the most important is to mimic or imitate the environment where the individual works best. Um, and obviously big companies, it's like they can't do it necessarily for everyone. So I think there might be a, a benefit for the hybrid solution, which is like, okay, if you work better for, you know, remotely or in your own space, great. Um, but we do want you to come in the office a few days or for the people who really love being in the office, you know, that's there for them and they know they can go there. So I think it's, it's very, you know, dependent, I think on each company, yeah. each company culture, for sure, how they need to kind of maneuver that and, and, and operate. You kind of alluded there to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is when Aluma inevitably gets bigger and grows and the team gets larger than it is now, do you still think you'll be completely remote? Do you think that it's possible when the team gets to a certain size? Um, I mean, it's possible. I never say never. We could always <laughs> go back to offices. Uh, <laughs> who knows? You know, it depends on if there's like a hub where most people are. Right now, a lot of our team happens to be based in Colombia, but we have team members in the US. We have team members, a few in Europe. Um, so we do have already, you know, kind of different time zones or different areas. Um, so if that makes geographic sense, for sure. Um, I, I think we'll always try and strive for remote because I think it's worked very well for us. Um, and I yeah. think now um, being a, you know, a more mature team at the stage we're at, we really value that uh, extra time. I think we're all very hard workers. We're all a little bit of workaholics. So the fact that we can kind of, you know, we can augment the time that maybe we would spend in transit and actually be working yeah. and then know when we're off we're off and you know we shut down those computers um it depends i think there's a lot of companies also that have done it really well that have done full remote um exceedingly well you also see a lot more retention i think when you give people more of the the choice to kind of work from anywhere and, and figure out their own solution i think that that's another piece as well so it will depend on where the culture goes, but my guess is we would try and keep it probably remote as possible. But again, we'll have to see what challenges present themselves at a at a, at a larger size. But myself personally, I will be trying to continue <laughs> working remote. That's for sure. I think what's um, really a nice thought to this, to the whole aspect, because often when you, you're talking with tech companies and you're trying to understand the product, the products, trying to understand the problem that looking to solve and then from especially from a recruiter's perspective you're trying to turn that into a, a cell to, to the next person who who could work there um, and from an engineering perspective it's really important that you get that part right because what you're working on has to mean something to you you have to care about what you're building um, and the fact that Aluma has this remote working team that's really successful in that environment and you're creating a product which helps people who are doing that maybe on a larger scale or or just 
you find you've got people in the business who and they're what they're working on is something that maybe they feel themselves and they're creating a solution to that problem somebody walking into a Luma as, as their next role that's, that's got to be a, a big pull for people coming in and and a satisfying element for those who who work there now yeah absolutely and I think it, it's something really interesting with with previous companies we've had, we haven't always been also the the end user of what we're building. And this time being the end user, it's that like using my own product is is the most exhilarating experience. It's it's honestly it's it's awesome to feel like the feature that I want is the feature that I'm building and I see it working. I see it working for myself. I see it working for other people. And I think, yeah, having that connection ultimately of okay, you know, we're designing something that works for our own team, not only, you know, because we're remote, also because we're in Web3, also because we use Discord, also because we use, you know, a lot of the Web3 platforms that we're solving for. Uh, it's, it is very special. I think it's something that really also kind of doubles down the motivation because you feel like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm built, I'm building for me. And me is now, you know, like, it, it's a whole group of people. It doesn't feel like a case of one. This is a huge, you know, community that I'm trying to solve for. So that's been really special. What's next on the horizon for Aluma? Oh, so many things. 2023 <laughs> scares me in so many ways. <laughs> we have our roadmap grows by the day. Um, definitely a few different things. So one is uh, obviously just sort of digging our, you know, digging deeper into what else we can do with uh, our AI, um, applying it to a lot more channels. So we're focusing a lot on integrations, I would say, in the next few quarters. Um, so some of the things like I mentioned, if you want to also, you know, within your Aluma um, web app or environment, if you want to be pulling in insights that are happening in, um, you know, the voting applications that you're using or this, you know, safes that you use for token management and understanding what transactions are happening. If you want to bring in your chats on Telegram, um, you know, if you're following someone on Twitter and you want to know every time they mention a keyword about uh, Discord or DAOs or whatever, um, all those things, bringing that into Iluma to really kind of build out that 360 of, okay, what is the most important thing that's happening? What's kind of going on? Giving, you know, that user and community level feel of like a bird's eye view of what's happening and the most important information. That's definitely going to be the the focus for, for early next year. And also think... fundraising our, our, our seed round. We're, we're going to head out uh, to the... To the investment scene starting early January, February. So we'll be raising our seed round um, early on as well. So that always takes time. Um, but uh, but yeah, that and focusing on all these awesome, awesome features in our product. Well, it sounds like 2023 is definitely going to be a big year. Um, I think it sounds like there's some really exciting things on the horizon. Um, I'd love any year's time for us to revisit and talk about all the things that you've added in in since since we last spoke um absolutely to bring us full circle always like to ask this question um for those listening if if they only took one thing from the podcast what what would you like our audience to take oh well one thing aside aside from <laughs> going and trying out iluma if you happen yes. to have a discord yeah. <laughs> or happen to be on, on discord or have a server um i would definitely say do not be afraid of web3 um, try, try and get involved in different ways. There's a bunch of different resources that are available. I started, um, learning. I, I remember I was watching a series, I think it's called whiteboard crypto and they break down 
elements. It's on YouTube. It's a great channel. And they break down different elements of, you know, what is the blockchain and how does it work? And they do these beautiful illustrations while they sort of narrate, you know, what does this mean and what, what, what value does it bring? Uh, because Web3 for me in so many ways is going to be the future of work. It's really going to dictate the, the technical capabilities, but also that social idea. Um, I 100% believe and I'm convicted that this will be, this, this is going to be um, what work looks like. Um, if it's in, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I'm not exactly sure when it will happen or how quickly it will evolve, but it is, um, you know, something that I'm absolutely certain of. And I would want more people to get involved and to not feel that shyness or that kind of overwhelmness of, you know, it feels very complicated. It feels, you know, oh, just, you know, kind of kick the can down the road. I think it's something we're all going to need to be very familiar with and comfortable with. Um, and so, you know, dig around. There's great resources out there. I'm also a member of a community called BFF, um, which is one of the biggest communities uh, online, Web3 communities for getting more women and um, more minorities involved in Web3. It's awesome. It was started by a lot of celebrities. So you'll see there's like Mila Kunis, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, so sort of splashy names to, to add excitement. Um, but they do some really amazing things, uh, really great partnerships and really great coursework on how to get involved and how to sort of get started. So it's not as overwhelming as you think. Um, there's a lot of great ways to, to sort of get onboarded onto Web3. So definitely go and, and start your journey. Brilliant. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. Um, I, when we put this out, there's there's going to be things in the comments and in the post. So anybody who wants to check Aluma out, um, go do it and ch check out that group. It sounds like a really great place to get some, some information and some help getting into Web3. Um, so thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rosie. It's a pleasure.